Okay, we're back in the book of Exodus today. Uh, Exodus is the second book in the Bible. So if you go to front and then you'll find Genesis and then if you carry on, then you'll find Exodus. It's pretty easy. We've, we've actually, we were looking at it earlier in the year. Over the summer, we took a bit of a pause for six or seven weeks and now we're back into it this week. And Exodus is, um, it's an amazing story. It's one of the best Stories I think you could ever come across in, uh, in film or in literature. It's such an amazing tale. It's been made into many movies and adapted in so many different ways. Um, and part of the reason why that's happened is because uh, it's a very human, it's a very kind of real, obviously it is a real recorded story, but it speaks very much into real life. Uh, lots of the things that happen are quite uh, personal. We can find ourselves getting caught up in them, involved in them. And we, we've, we've been working through it. We've worked through the first four chapters. We're in chapter five uh, this morning. And what happens is uh, Exodus tells the story of how the people of God, the Israelites, are led out of their in slavery in, in Egypt. Pharaoh, the king, the emperor, the leader of the Egyptians is oppressing, brutally oppressing the Israelites, and he's made them into his slaves, a whole nation of people having to serve another nation. And the book of Exodus tells about how the people are led out of slavery, led out of captivity, about how Moses is, is kind of appointed as their leader, uh, and God commissions Moses. In chapter 3, he comes to Moses at the, the scene at the burning bush, and says to him, Moses, you're going you're to set these people free. You're going to deliver them out of the hands of Pharaoh. And Moses complains and argues with him. And eventually in chapter 4, uh, he, he, he agrees to the plan. And he goes and tells the people of God what he's going to do. That's a short recap. There's much, much more to the story, obviously, just than, than just that. And where we're finding the story today is at, this, the, at chapter 5. We'll read through the chapters together in a second where Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh the king and they give their kind of first demand. They, they say, we, we, it's kind of their beginnings of, of trying to draw the people out and lead them out. So uh, we're going to, uh, hopefully the words will appear as if by magic behind me and we will read this passage together. I'm moving around again, here we go. Okay, afterwards Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and the foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall be no, 
you shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. Then they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. You've not delivered your people at all. Let me pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you've given us this book, the Bible, your word, Thank you that it speaks to us. It's living and active and it's, it cuts into our hearts to help us to see you more. Cuts away the distractions, the things that lead us away from you. And we, we want to let your word do its work this morning and come and feed us. Come and cut away things that have been getting in the way. We, we, we want to be drawn closer to you. Holy Spirit, we ask you, be at work in our hearts this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen. We live in a, in a world, in, in a culture, we were talking about it a little bit last week, don't worry if you weren't here, uh, a, a very much a kind of self-driven culture where we're told that we can achieve whatever we want, that we can do whatever we want. If we're just given the space and the time and the permission, we can make anything we want of our lives. We can deliver whatever we want. And we, 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 we get caught up in this, eye, this kind of sense, this goal of achievement, always looking to achieve new things. We live in an achievement culture. Everyone's being driven on to achieve their hopes and dreams in a very individual way. And particularly in cities like this one where we live. People move here. People relocate here. Many of you have. Often that they move here to to pursue dreams. They have dreams in, in, in their hearts. Maybe some of you do. You've moved here to achieve something because you want to study and you want to move on into a new career. You want, to, you want to do something with your life. You've got a plan, a vision for your life that you want to see happen. And often we, we, can, we can have these big dreams 
but they can, sometimes we can move to a place like this and suddenly where everything felt very big in the past, in a big city like this, we can suddenly feel very small. <laughs> you might be the best, for instance, you might be the best violin player in the town where you grew up. You were the best in your school, the best in your orchestra, the most talented, and you thought, I'm going to go and I'm going to be the best. And then you move to a city like this and you discover that the buskers underneath the Rijks Museum are better than you are. <laughs> it's true. And all the time we find that you could be the best artist, the best designer, the best football player. And then you move to a city like this and you think, wow, I'm just one of thousands now. I thought I had this special thing. I thought there was something unique about me. But actually, there's many people who are just the same as me. There are many people that are better than I am. And this, this kind of culture of achievement that we live in, it often puts... It often puts kind of false hope in our hearts. It often puts a goal in front of us that actually isn't really achievable, or at least there's going to be lots of obstacles and challenges to get there. In the book of Proverbs, it will come on the screen, it said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. That word deferred means like drawn out, delayed. As I said, the Bible is very real. Hope deferred, delayed hope. When you've got dreams and promises that take a long time to get there, it can make your heart sick. You can get disappointed very, very quickly. And that's something that we all have to think through sometimes is what if the vision that you have for your life, what if that fails? Or what if it's really hard? What if you have those moments when you think, oh, I'm not gonna, it's not going to happen? Then we have to figure out, well, what are we going to do? What's life going to look like when things don't work out? And for all of us, part of, part of, part of human experience, part of being alive, is working sometimes through disappointment of where things don't work out and we feel disappointed. That can be with dreams and hopes, with jobs, careers. For a lot of us, it will be with relationships, where relationships don't work out quite as we thought they would. When the honeymoon period is over and it's hard work, we can get disappointed really quickly. And that's what we're going to, that's the subject today. Disappointment. I couldn't think of a catchier title, so I just called it Disappointment. And there you go. Sorry if you're disappointed in that. That was a terrible joke, I apologise. And in our culture, the, the, way that we tend to, the, the way that we tend to deal with disappointment when we feel disappointed is, is, I guess on one hand, we use kind of almost like replacement therapy. We just put lots of other things in the way, lots of things to kind of give us a kind of energy, enjoyment, fix things to just distract us, things to kind of just help us to escape, help us just to kind of gloss over life, to sort of kind of bury and squash any emotions of frustration or pain or disappointment. We just distract ourselves with glitzier, happier things. Or we can say things to people like, oh, well, you know, things could be worse. You know, you could, you could, you could live in a really poor part of the world. Things would be worse then. We could say, oh, look, look on the bright side. 
We have all lots of nice little sayings that we say to ourselves, that we say to other people to help us deal with when life is painful, when life is disappointing. Or I guess the other thing we do is we just, we just quash, squash down any expectation for the future. We get hurt a few times, so we say to ourselves, well, then therefore I won't, I won't, I won't have any dreams anymore. We get hurt by relationships and you think, well, I'll just, I'll just back off now. I'll just withdraw. If I put myself out there and I'm going to get hurt, then I just won't do that again. I'll just live in my own little world. I'll just do things that keep me happy and I won't ever engage with other people because I'm just going to get disappointed, so why bother? And we kind of quash any expectations, any hope. We just stamp it down just in case we might get disappointed. And the, the great thing about the Bible, this book is, it's wonderfully honest and it's very human. It would be very easy for me to say, oh, do you know what, life's amazing and everything's just going to get better. But then you read the Bible and you come across lots of stories of people where that doesn't really happen. They don't write the best-selling novel and then become a millionaire. Lots of them end up in prison. <laughs> lots of them get killed. Lots of them end up very poor. That's, that's the story of many people in the Bible. There's not many kind of success stories by human standards. The Bible is very honest, it's very real. It speaks into our own life situations, into our dreams, our joys, but also our disappointments. So what I want to give us is just a few kind of practical biblical things just to help us to deal with disappointment from this, from this story in Exodus. So first of all, the first thing will be is to, uh, to help us to deal with disappointment is to, to see that, uh, to remember the kind of the big story. Remember the story that God's called us up into. Because God's promise to deliver them, says in, in Exodus chapter three, which will come up on the screen in a moment, it says uh, Moses had now, uh, uh, what is it saying? I've got it written down on the paper there. Oh, there it is. There we go. Thank you. It says, Then the Lord said, Surely I've seen your affliction of my people who are in Egypt. have heard their cry because of the taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I've come down to deliver them out. So God's come and he's promised. This is uh, uh, God speaking to Moses at the burning bush and he's promising them. He's saying to Moses, I'm going I'm to deliver you. This oppression that you've been under, this brutal dictatorship, this evil ruler, I'm going to deliver you. That's the big story that they're part of. God said it to them. God has said to Moses, I'm going to deliver you. And then it goes on in, in, in the end of Exodus chapter, chapter 4. Again, it says, Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. That's the last verse, end of chapter 4, just before we read in chapter 5. God's come to Moses. He said he's going to deliver them. Moses has then gone to the whole people and said, God's going to deliver you. And their response is worship. They're like, yes, we're going to worship God. He's going to set us free. Hallelujah, we're free. But then very quickly... As we've read in this story, it doesn't work out like that. They go to, to Pharaoh in, in, in verse 2 of chapter 5, and, and Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? Who's this 
God that you speak of that's supposedly going to set you free. I've not seen him. Who is this guy? (laughs) And that's, that's kind of the big question that the book of Exodus is unpacking is, who is God? Who is he? What's he like? What's his character? Is he real? And Pharaoh doesn't believe he's real. Pharaoh just writes him off. Who is, this, who is this man that you speak of? Who is this God? doesn't believe it. And instead, what Pharaoh does is he increases their workload. He makes them work really hard. He makes them suffer. He, 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 he makes them make bricks without straw. I've never made bricks, but apparently you need straw. At least they did a couple of thousand years ago. And he says, well, you've you got you to go and get the straw yourself now. You've still got to meet the same quotas. You've still got the same demands. You've just got to do twice the workload. It would have been, this isn't an easy job. This is a brutal, horrible job. And Moses uh, and Pharaoh is, is not having any of it. He just, he, he's, I'm, I'm the boss. I'm in charge. But the, yet the people, what's happened is they've just, they've forgotten the story that they're part of. And that can happen to us. We just forget the story. We forget God's promises. We forget his plan for us when disappointment comes, when life feels difficult. We just forget, right? We just forget. We trust in ourselves instead. We try and fix it ourselves. And they, the, the people, they ask Pharaoh to relent and back off. They go and they complain to Moses but it's not even just the people that forget. Moses forgets too. Moses says, oh, well, you know, God, I, I, you gave me all these promises. What, what are you doing? Why, why, why have you sent me to do this? Why have you sent me just to lead the people into evil? What, what's going on? They all just forget. And the thing is that not only had God promised that he would deliver them. But he'd also, he'd warned Moses. He'd said to him in chapter four, he'd said, what's gonna happen is you're gonna go and tell Pharaoh to let the people, the people go, and he's gonna say no. So Moses knew that this was gonna happen. He knew that Pharaoh was gonna ignore him. He knew it was gonna be a fight, it was gonna be a battle, because God had told him. And yet still he's forgotten. Still he's disappointed, still he's frustrated, still he turns his back on, on God, tries to do things his own way. And we do exactly the same. We just forget. Rather than ha- following Jesus, we just try and follow our own plans instead. When disappointment comes, we just try and fix things ourselves. That's the first way we can deal with disappointment is to remember the story that we're part of, remember his plan. And I don't mean remember the story of your life, but remember the bigger story that he's caught you up in. Remember who God is, his promises. Remember his character, who he is. And the second way to deal with disappointment is to, is to pick, is to choose a boss. Choose a boss. If you just run through a couple of slides, we'll pick up with that. We choose a new master. See, because as I said, the, one of the big questions that this, these few chapters are looking at is, 
Who is, who is the Lord? That's Pharaoh's question. Who is, who is the Lord? If you move on to the next slide. There we go. It says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Because what's, what's, what's at play here, if to help you understand this chapter of the Bible, we've basically got two opposing deities, two opposing gods, you could put it that way, who are in conflict, essentially. So if we move on to the next, here it says in verse 1, what Moses and Aaron say to Pharaoh is, thus says the Lord, let my people go. If we move on to the next slide, this is, this is verse 10, and this is uh, Pharaoh's kind of henchmen talking to the people. He says, thus says Pharaoh. On one hand, thus says the Lord. On the other hand, thus says Pharaoh. And this, is, this is really fascinating, these, these words, that thus says phrase. It's what, what the Bible's doing, what Moses is doing, is he's taunting Pharaoh. He's mocking him. Because that phrase, thus says, thus says Pharaoh, was a phrase that the Egyptian rulers used all the time. There's a book um, that, uh, from ancient Egypt called the Book of the Dead, which sounds like a really jolly read, isn't it? It's like an Agatha Christie novel, a really horrible one, a zombie movie. It's called the Book of the Dead. And through the Book of the Dead, all the time, it uses the phrase, thus says Pharaoh, thus says Pharaoh. It's how the, the Pharaoh would, would kind of command the people, how he would rule over the country. He would say, thus says. It was like a kingly phrase. So when Moses uses it, when he says to Pharaoh, thus says God, he's mocking him. He's saying to him, you're not really in charge. There's another God. He's so much more powerful than you are. There's another king who's in charge. There's another ruler on the throne. And this theme kind of appears again and again in the Bible. In uh, Matthew chapter 6, it says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. No one can serve two masters. That's what this chapter 5 of Exodus is about. Thus says God, thus says Pharaoh. No one can serve two masters. The Israelites had to choose who they were going to follow. We have to choose who we're going to follow. When disappointment comes, we have to choose, we have to pick. Because we see in this next slide that the Israelites, they choose, they choose the wrong one. In verse 15 it says, Then the foreman of the people uh, uh, so these are the Israelites. They go to Pharaoh and they say, why do you treat your servants like this? <laughs> it's interesting the Israelites would say that. They, before Pharaoh, they're not saying, we're your slaves. They were saying, we're your, we're your servants. It's, we're your servants. Why are you treating us like this? They've, they've, picked, they've picked the wrong boss. <laughs> no one can serve two masters and they've picked the wrong one. They've said, Pharaoh, come on, we're your servants. Why won't, you, why won't you help us? Why won't you listen to us? They've picked the wrong team. Yet when disappointment comes, 
when our hopes are squashed, when the kind of vision that we have for our life, when that doesn't work out, we often do the same. You know, that verse from Matthew 6 was talking about money. And we can do the same. When we get into debt, when we have financial problems, we, we then have to choose, who, who am I going to serve? Am I going to serve the money? Or will I serve God? And we often choose the wrong route. Even though it's money that's kind of led us into financial crisis, we, we trust in money, hoping that somehow it will bring us out. If I can just save a bit more, if I can just work a bit harder, raise a bit more money, if I can just borrow some money from over here, I can sort out my problems. And we just end up getting ourselves in more debt, in more trouble, in more difficulty, because we've chosen to serve something else. We've not chosen to serve God. Because what happens is, we move on to the next one, Pharaoh's replies, even though they've come and said, we're your servants, he says, you're idle, you're idle. He just mocks them, he just says, work harder, you're useless. And that's what happens when we choose the wrong master. It just kind of mocks us. It just says, well, you're, you're, just, you're useless. You can't, you just need to work a bit harder. It tricks us, it deceives us, just leads us into more trouble, more evil. Let me just help us understand this. I read a story. I read this in a, in a newspaper a couple of months ago. This is about a man called Justin Rees Larkham. He says he had a beautiful wife and children. He had a top job in the city and a lifestyle to match. But then he discovered online gambling and he threw it all away. He says by the time he proposed to Emma, his wife, or who was to become his wife, on her birthday in 2006, he'd walked into a six-figure job in the city. He was driving a Porsche. He said, my marriage was brilliant. The money wasn't tight. We had everything we needed, he explains. And yet one Sunday, when he was 40 years old, he'd never gambled in his life. And he was bored one day. He placed a five-euro bet on a sports game. And over the, the coming months, he began to place regular bets. But it was only once he'd spent all of his savings that it dawned on him he was losing more than he was winning. Horrified, he worked out how much he needed to bet to win everything back, and he took out a 5,000 overdraft. Suddenly, he was gambling not out of choice, but to cover his tracks. See, what he's done is he's got himself in difficulty, and he faces that moment of... What do I do? Which, who am I going to follow? Which master will I serve? And he gets sucked into it more and more. He's, now he's having to gamble to cover his tracks. Goes on in the story to say that Emma noticed that Justin was behaving differently. He'd become withdrawn from family life, short-tempered and solemn, and she blamed herself. When her close friends suggested he might have a gambling problem, she refused to believe them until she opened some bank accounts and he realized he was spending up to 10,000 a day on online betting. <laughs> I can't get my head around that, that's incredible. She said, he left us with absolutely nothing, he hadn't paid the rent on our cottage, all the money I'd earned, all the money she'd earned before we were married was gone, along with the equity in the house we'd recently sold. In disgust, she removed her wedding and engagement rings, left them by the bed. A few days later, they disappeared too. He flogged them away to get money. And that's what can happen. 
That's what happens when we choose the wrong master, when we say, this, will, this thing will get me out of the hole, this will fix me. And it, it didn't. It destroyed their life, their family. Fortunately, the, the story goes on to say how they were reconciled, lots of forgiveness took place, but still they've had to rebuild their life from ground zero. That's what happens when you pick the wrong master. And disappointment asks us that question. It says, you're disappointed right now. Who are you going to serve? What are you going to do? Which way will you go? The next thing to help us deal with disappointment is to realign our hope. Realign our hope. Because the thing is, is that maybe, just maybe, that the disappointment you feel, that could be a good thing. Disappointment can be a really healthy emotion. We can sometimes think that positive emotions are good, negative emotions are bad. Actually, disappointment can be a really good thing. Because maybe that even the fact that you're feeling disappointed, even the fact that life isn't going your way, maybe that's because God's trying to speak to you. He's, he's actually trying to do something in your life. He's, he's, he's trying to do something quite fundamental. Quite something, something, it's, we, we often pray, God, you know, have your way in my life. God, I want to follow you, whatever it takes. God, come and change me. And we, we, when we pray those sort of prayers, what we expect is some kind of lightning bolt out of the sky. Pazam! And then we wake up and we just feel better. You know, and we've sort of grown uh, two foot taller and we've lost a ton of weight and we've kind of turned into this sort of superhuman. That's how we want God to work, right? Just to sort of zap us and then we can move on. When we pray those sort of prayers, what God sometimes will do, in fact, probably often will do, it still lead us through some quite difficult seasons. Hardship, difficulty, because he's trying to shape us, he's trying to do something in our lives. There's a quote that's going to come up on the screen from a, a writer called Andrew Murray. There we go. He says, he's talking about God. He stirs up your nest. He disappoints your hopes. He brings down your confidence. He makes you fear and tremble as all your strength fails and you feel utterly weary and helpless. And all the while, he's spreading his strong wings for you to rest your weakness on and offering his everlasting creator strength to work in you. And all he asks is you should sink down in your weariness and wait on him and allow him in his Jehovah strength to carry as you ride upon the wings of omnipotence. Often God's just trying to stir up the nest. He's trying to shake things up. Because he, he wants you to answer that question. He wants you to, to pick a master. He wants you to choose who you're going to serve, who you're going to follow. Disappointment doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can often be God trying to speak to you, trying to realign what you're hoping, what your dreams are in. If we look in Hebrews chapter 11, 
verses uh, 24 to 26. The book of Hebrews 11 tells us, it says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was, he was looking to the reward. What, what Moses came to discover was that following God, following Jesus, was the greater thing, was the better thing. Hoping in that, seeking that reward is better than chasing after our own dreams and hopes and desires, trying to follow our own plans. But to kind of ruin the end of the story, this is a bit of a spoiler, if you go on and read the rest of the book of Exodus, the, the whole idea is that Moses is to lead the people out of Egypt into their promised land, right? So he can lead them into their own country. They can build their own cities. They can have a home. They can have a, somewhere that, to build their lives. That's where Moses is leading to. But what happens is, is Moses doesn't get to do that. He leads them out of Egypt, and then they spend 30 years wandering around this desert in the wilderness, moaning. And that, that's the end of Moses' life. <laughs> He doesn't actually get to the thing that God's promised him, the thing that he's hoping in, he doesn't get to see. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. But for Moses, he still knew that God had something better for him. It goes on the next bit in Hebrews, in verses 39 to 40. It's talking about Moses and all these other heroes of the faith. It says, and all these, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. I did not receive it since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. God's got something better for you. And sometimes you have to ask yourself the question is, what if I never achieve anything? What if all the hopes and dreams that I have never amount to anything at all? What, what if this is as good as it gets? And what God's trying to do, he's trying to call us to put our trust in something far greater than the kind of fleeting, temporary pleasures that this world offers. Because often you'll find the hopes and dreams that you have, some of them you might actually fulfill, some of them might actually happen, and then you get there and realize, oh, was that it? Was that it? You see so many sports people that they, they, they win the gold medals, they achieve everything they wanted to, want to achieve, and then you know, they're kind of 30, 35, and they retire, and then they have to ask the question, oh, was that, what do I do now? Many of them end up spiraling into depression and illness and difficulty because what do I do with my life now? You know, I, th I thought that was it. I thought that was what I was living for, and now it's gone, it's over. Is that all it was? And yet God calls us to hope, to believe in something far better, something far greater. He's calling us to follow him and his kingdom. There's another quote that's going to come up on the screen from a writer called Emma Scrivener. He says he takes, or God takes, 
what the enemy means for evil, and he makes it part of something precious, something we can't get in any other way. We might not see it in this life, but he is at work. So often the disappointment and the pain and the difficulty that we go through doesn't really seem to have any purpose. And sometimes you get to look back five, ten years later and you think, oh, that's why that happened. That's why I had to walk through that tough season. That's why I had to walk through that difficulty, because God was preparing me for something. And other times you look back and think, I don't know why that happened. That was hard. I don't know why. That was hard. I've got no explanation. And maybe one day in heaven, we'll, we'll really understand. We will understand. We'll suddenly see God's plan and think, okay, I get it now. I know now. But in this life, sometimes we just don't know. And I guess my, my, the, the final way to deal with disappointment is uh, what Moses does in verse 22. Is to, it, it says that um, he turns to Jesus. It says that Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done evils to this people? Why did you ever send me? It's okay to complain to God. <laughs> it's okay to ask big questions, to have a bit of a moan. But Moses did the right thing. He turned to God. We can turn to all other things to get the answers. People, relationships, that girl, if I just, that's gonna answer all the problems I have. That thing, if I can just do this, that's going to meet my needs. He turned to God. If you're carrying disappointment, then just bring it to God. Ask him, say, God, I don't know why this is happening. Help me. Are you trying to speak to me? Are you trying to do something in my life? Ask God. Ask for his help. The Bible says we have a great high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. He, he knows disappointment. You know, he, even the abuse suffered by the Israelites, he knows it. He says in this story that they were beaten when they couldn't hit their quotas. Jesus was beaten. He says that he was mocked by, that the Israelites were mocked by Pharaoh. You are idle, you're useless. Jesus was mocked. They complained to Moses saying, you've made our reputation stink. Jesus' reputation was lost. He suffered. It, says in, it goes on to say in Hebrews, start at chapter 12, that he endured the cross. We can bring all our disappointments, all our worries to God. We can turn to him. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything will just be fixed. But what God will do is he'll, he'll, he'll realign your hopes and your dreams. He'll call you to trust in a, in a greater story, in a greater plan, in a greater kingdom. And we have a God, a savior who knows, he knows pain and suffering. He knows difficulty. Let me just finish. It won't come up on the screen, but let me just read these words from Isaiah 53 says he was despised and rejected by men. 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As from one whom men hide their faces, he was despised, we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. Why don't you just stand to your feet? If you're happy to do that, let me pray. Jesus, we, we don't want to be like those Israelites, and so often we are, when disappointment and trouble comes, we, we turn to the wrong things to try and fix it. We pick the wrong boss, we choose the wrong master. And we want to follow you, Jesus. We want to turn to you. And we know it's only by your work that that can happen. We thank you, Jesus, that for all the mess that we've made of our lives, all the mistakes we've made, you died for us to set us free from those things. It's not any more about us just, we've made a mess, so we just need to work a bit harder to try and fix things. But you say to us that we can come to you just as we are, and you'll forgive us. We don't have to do anything other than just turn to you. I pray you'd help us to do that today in our hearts, just to turn to you, Jesus, and say, I trust in you for all these circumstances, all this difficulty, the good and the bad of life. I just turn to you and say, I want to follow you. We thank you for your grace, Jesus, that welcomes us, no matter what we've done, no matter who we are, welcomes us to follow you helps us to follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us.